O God, in whose service is perfect freedom, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you were thinking of the stories of Elijah in today's terms, they'd be something like action movies. He is something like the world's first superhero here. You've got to think that the J.J. Abrams of 1000 BCE was producing these stories. I, I've just exhausted half of my uh, knowledge about movie making, so don't worry, it won't go on. The prequel to today's story in First Kings is this. There's an, there's an impotent king, Ahab, who is just a prop for this insidiously evil foreign queen, Jezebel, who worships Baal and Asherah, and they've been putting to death all the prophets of the Lord in all the land. So Elijah comes to King Ahab and says, all right, Let's settle this. You go get all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, and then the prophets of Asherah too, 400 of them, and meet me on Mount Carmel. Elijah taunts a little bit. We'll see who's God. And you know the story, right? 850 of these prophets show up and sacrifice and pray and dance, and nothing happens. Elijah taunts them some more and asks, well, you know, maybe he's just asleep. Baal sure is quiet today, isn't he? And the 850 prophets scream and stamp and sacrifice and cut themselves and start to pour out their own blood as a plea for divine action. And scripture says there was no voice, no answer, no response. So Elijah, it's his turn. And he takes his offering to the altar and drenches it time and again with water So it's pouring off everywhere. And then he says a quick prayer to the Lord. Answer me. Let these people know you are the Lord and have turned their hearts back. And God comes in a blaze of fire that consumes the soaked offering and even the puddles that have gathered around the altar. Uh, As a teaser for... Chris and my class on Joseph Uncensored coming up later. Sunday school censorship usually leaves out the bit where Elijah then has all 850 of the prophets seized and he takes them down to the river and murders every single last one of them. So it turns maybe into more of a Quentin Tarantino flick. There it is, 100%. It's done. Which catches us up to this morning. Elijah hears the threat of Jezebel and suffers a failure of nerve or a dose of reality after what happens when you kill 850 people. And uh, she says, God help me, this is coming for you now. And so he runs away to the wilderness and he waits there, physically, existentially alone, feeling like it would be best to just die. That's what he says. What are you doing here, Elijah? The word of the Lord says. And it continues. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces. 
and after the wind, an earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, in all of the places that the Lord had just been. But the Lord now was not there. But then came a sound of sheer silence. Now, people have struggled with this translation uh, for as long as it's been written down. Today's NRSV says the sound of sheer silence. You'll probably be familiar with the King James Version, the still, small voice. I like the, the SGV, Simon and Garfunkel's translation, the sound of silence being where God is. Our world struggles with this, this God of silence. Anxious as we are to let a conversation pause without our input. Most of our technology gladly fills up empty space. Our industrial revolution has given us a new Lord, the calendar, and the fruit of its spirit, our efficiency, quantity, and ease. We've asked for millennia what it means to follow a God of silence, to say, you hear a voice that no one else hears. There's, there's a Welsh poet and priest named R.S. Thomas who has a poem called Via Negativa. It goes like this. Why, no, I never thought other than that God is that great absence in our lives, the empty silence within, the place where we go seeking, not in hope to arrive or find. He keeps the interstices in our knowledge the darkness between stars. His are the echoes we follow, the footprints he has just left. We put our hands in his side, hoping to find it warm. We look at people and places as though he had looked at them too, but miss the reflection. Thomas says he's the great absence in our lives. The darkness between stars by which they become illumined. But this week I've been struggling with silence in a different way, to be honest with you. 49 dead in Orlando. 49 voices violently silenced in our world. I am convinced that it is not walls that separate us from one another, but our silence. It is a wall of absence, and we are loath to cross into it. It is a chasm of taboo, the unmentionable, its width ranging from the rather narrow crossings of fear of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, but gapes widest at the points of disgust. It's an indelible force. The stretch of silence is our misunderstanding, our polite skirting of the issue. The chasm grows when concerns for our own possessions are more compelling and pressing than that of our concern for the poor and the voiceless. When we are sold the goods of security by peddlers of fear in order to mitigate the risk inherent in a well-lived life. The chasm grows when we call our prejudices opinions and excuse them for the way I was raised. The silence yawns between us 
and our broken neighbor, held as he is in Abraham's bosom. Elijah tells us by stepping into this silence, we encounter God. When our need to fill the silence with our opinions dies and we instead begin with inquiry, with genuinely listening, listening to that which is unknown to us, to LGBTQ people, listening for the quiet truth of Islam rather than being distracted by its violent proponents, listening to find out just what this ideology of love taught by Christ looks like, to find out where we are being called to go. It turns out everyone is guided by a voice that no one hears, sometimes lots of voices. Can you name them? The story of Elijah never dies, is that Elijah never dies. He appears from nowhere in 1 Kings and is taken up to heaven by chariots of fire in 2 Kings. The Jews believe that Elijah is the voice of redemption. He will herald the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who will come once we've repaired the earth. Now Midrash is the tradition of interpreting the biblical text of reading in between the words and filling the story with what isn't told. And so the rabbis in their midrash ask all the time, what is this Elijah doing if he didn't die? What is he doing as he awaits the Messiah? My midrash professor in seminary said there are a lot of answers, but the one she liked most is that he is sitting at the gates of the cities bandaging the wounds of the suffering, of the ill, of the lepers, the untouchable. In other words, Elijah is the prophet who seeks out those who suffer and tries not to simply offer words of comfort, but deeds of comfort, and that our role is to help him, seeking the outsider and binding their wounds of which there are so many. Amen.